Welcome to a very refreshing hour of business talk. This is Changing the Game with the Intelligent Enterprise, presented by SAP, the best-run SAP. You'll hear from the innovators who know how to use game-changing technologies and business strategies to transform industries. And importantly, they'll discuss how these technologies and strategies can shake up the status quo in your company's future and help your organization move in exciting new directions. Now, here's your host and moderator, Bonnie D. Graham. Welcome, welcome, welcome. If you want to run with the game changers, you're in the right place. We always say it. We always mean it because this is where the best run. Let's see what the buzz is today. I have a quote from Peter Diamandis, chairman and CEO of the XPRIZE Foundation. And listen up. This is important. He said, every second of every day, our senses bring in way too much data than we can possibly process in our brains. Let's just let that sink in for a second. Think about it. Data, brains, implication. We as humans, we may be creating the data, but we can't cope with all of it. So what are we talking about today in this digital business era? Analytics has become as ubiquitous as content. Anybody who doesn't know what the word ubiquitous is, is, I can pronounce it. Ubiquitous means everywhere. It's all around us. It's omnipresent. So what about analytics? Analytics helps us review multiple levels of information. What do we want to do with it? Well, it starts out as data. We want to be able to process it, use it, think about it, run our businesses better. So you want to use that information to make meaningful, insightful business decisions. But that's not enough. You want them in real time when they're happening. And you want them where they're important, meaning at the point of need. So if we peel off the covers of this mass of data, I'm seeing all kinds of pictures and artwork in my head right now. Is it trusted? How do you know it's good data? And is it in a form that you can digest, that you can apply to actually improve your business outcomes? Well, we have a panel of three experts today who are going to help us figure this out. So our topic officially today is intelligent analytics beyond the magic. If you think analytics is magic, well, we're going to take it into the realm of where it's really smart and usable and find out how you can get there. So welcome, welcome, welcome. I am Bonnie D. Graham. And let's see who our three guests are today. Let me just tell you a little bit about them and then we'll get started. In a moment, we're welcoming James Rothwell. His last name is just the way it sounds, R-O-T-H-W-E-L-L, Director of Analytics and Insights. Couldn't be a more perfect title at Agility Works. We'll find out what he does and what his company does. Joining him, I believe he's coming back for a second time on this series or a couple of our other series, Andy Steer. He is the UK CTO, Chief Technology Officer for Intelligence. Happy to have Andy back. And then we have another newcomer. It's Andy Bitterer, B-I-T-T-E-R-E-R, if you're looking him up. Chief Evangelist in EMEA for BIN Analytics at SAP. So welcome to my three panelists, and let's get started. James Rothwell has sent us a very interesting, uh, I want to say a grown-up quote, James Rothwell. It's from Brian Fantana. I looked this up, who was played by Paul Rudd in the 2004 comedy film Anchorman. You all may remember it or not. It was about Ron Burgundy, played by Will Ferrell, or Ferrell, however you like to pronounce it. And and uh, Brian Fantana was an anchorman and a co-worker of Ron Burgundy, and he thought he was a ladies' man. And James, do you think I should mention the name of the cologne this is in reference to? Do you think our listeners uh, would like it? You can do, yes. I wasn't sure whether I should, but you can. Yeah, go ahead. 
Okay, he's putting it on me. I can tell what kind of a show this is going to be. So the name of the, okay, I'm just going to spell it. Uh, S-E-X Panther is the name of the cologne. And and uh, Brian Fantana in the movie was certain that it was made from bits of real panther. No, we're not offending anybody in the in the collectibles realm around the world or saying, what? It was just a movie. He thought he could get any woman he wanted and not exactly true. So here is the quote. Now you know the reference point. I can't stop laughing, James. Here we go. They've done studies, you know. 60% of the time, it works every time. James Roswell, what a way to start a show on a Monday morning. How are you, James? (laughs) How are you? Yes, I'm very well, thank you. Very well. So talk to me about this quote. I know we're not going to be discussing cologne on the show today. We're talking about intelligent analytics. I have to stop smiling and laughing just briefly, though. So tell me how you picked this quote. It's it's quite outrageous, and I'm very appreciative that you have a great sense of humor. Tell me what it means for our topic. I'm guessing there's a couple of reasons why I picked the quote. One, I think when I found out I was going to be on the show and the topic, um, it's the first, and I knew we, we um, had to say a quote, it was the first quote that popped into my head. Um, I love the movie, um, and the context of the quote is not what I want to talk about. It's more Thank you. The, what the quote says and, and kind of insinuates. So they've done studies, you know, 60% of the time, it works every time. One, I love it because it makes no sense at all, the quote. But two... I think a lot of the analytics we've seen today have seen and are still seeing, um, it doesn't make sense. It makes sense to some people. It doesn't make sense to other people. There's distrust with the data. And I think for me, it was very, very relevant for the topic we're going to be talking about today. And it made me laugh as well. So, well, I'm, I'm calming down now. So my question to you is, um, 60% of the time it works every time. Are we talking about the current state of analytics? Are we talking about what we would like analytics to be? Where, what's, what's the exact reference point in terms of where are – and you know what – James, I struggle with analytics has an S on the end, and I struggle with is it a single, singular noun or a plural noun? Can you help me with that before you answer the question? Um, good question. I think for me, it's analytics, probably a plural for me. I kind of it, it kind of encompasses everything or a lot of things, and it, it's for me kind of where the data comes from, and you're bringing it together. It's that visualizations, that kind of the glue, essentially, on top of lots of different data sets or a particular data set and kind of giving that particular user community or that user um, some, some kind of intelligent insights. That's the idea anyway. But I think for me, the reason why I picked that quote is that, and I think it's very much about now, what we see, um, there's a lot of distrust in the analytics people are viewing either. Mm-hmm. And, and another thing I want to say is actually the success of any analytics project or analytics initiative, what people are consuming is essentially deemed on the adoption of the user base. And if they don't trust the data or if they sometimes trust it, it's correct today. It's not right tomorrow. Some people don't know it isn't right. So they're assuming it's still right, which again is where I kind of brought the similarities with the particular quote. Thank you very very much much about today for me. 
Yes, very much. And thank you very much. A, a great introduction. We don't usually get funny quotes, and I'm not going to get over this one for a long, long time. I think I have to go rewatch the movie. Thank you, James. Pleasure to have you on. And in a few minutes, we'll find out where you are and what you do and what you love to drink, because that's our format. We'll have some more fun. So thank you very much. And moving just a little bit around the table to Andy Steer at Intelligence, and Andy has sent us a quote. It's not a funny quote, but it's a quote that has a lot of controversy around it, not because of what it says, but because of the question of who said it. Uh, there is a big ponderance here. I use quote investigator, which my listeners may know. And apparently this was supposedly said by Henry Ford, supposedly said by Tony Robbins, maybe even by Einstein, because anything that's smart was apparently said by Einstein. Andy, I don't know if you know that, but he is is the, the magnet for misattribution today. Let me read the quote. It was apparently said by a woman named, and this is going to be an interesting reference back to James's quote, Jessie Potter. Um, she was the director of the National Institute for Human Relationships in Oaklawn, Illinois. And she said this quote at a conference in 1981. She was quoted in the Milwaukee Sentinel. She was an educator and counselor on family relationships and human sexuality. And she worked for the nonprofit I mentioned. There's another, I don't know, you guys, there's something, there's a thread here. Let's not go there. Andy Steer sent the following quote from Jesse Potter, 1981. Quote, if you always do what you've always done, you'll always get what you've always got. Andy Steer, welcome. How are you? I'm very good today, Bonnie. Very, very pleased to be back with you again. Thank you. It's very nice of you to say that. Pleased to have you. Uh, I, I wasn't implying there was an underlying thread between your quote from Jesse Potter and the one from Brian Fantan and Anchorman that James just shared, but I had to say that word twice. So go ahead, Andy. Tell us about what does this mean for our topic today? Intelligent analytics. You've always done. Is it te- is analytics, aren't analytics that new that it's same old, same old already? Give me a little, a little background, please. Well, I think, Bonnie, uh, so the reason this, this quote resonates with me is I'm pretty sure not a week goes by that I don't say this myself in front of either colleagues or prospective customers that, that, that I'm talking to. Um, time and time again, I think we fail to learn the lessons of the past. I think that's very true, both from a professional perspective with the technologies and, and the things that we'll no doubt talk about a little bit later on, but also on a, on a personal level. Um, I've got two young sons, and uh, they're, they're massively into playing sports. And for me, mm-hmm. the concept of trying to constantly improve and trying to do things different is summed up in, in that quote. You know, if you always do it the way you've done it, you're going to get the same results. And, uh, and I think that's something... Personally, as a, as a bit of an agitator and someone who likes to challenge the status quo, I think, mm-hmm. uh, I think it's a great quote. It absolutely is a great quote. At some point in time, Andy, I wonder if it matters that much who really said something, if it's so brilliant. I know I rely on quotes and we love to have the attributions, but what do you think? A really good quote is, is still words of wisdom. Do you agree with that? Yeah, do you know what? I was using it just because it sounded good for a long time before I even knew where it came from. I could never yes. attribute it correctly because I'd, I'd look up on the internet and I'd get confused about who did and who didn't say it. Yes. So in this case, I think it just stands alone. It's such a pure statement that the origin kind of isn't as important, but I, you know, I really want it to be Jesse Potter for so many reasons because I think um, particularly you know, nowadays with the diversity agenda and all of those kind of things, I think it's, 
I think it's such a pure, perfect quote. And I love the story about it being at the, the conference about the American life. Um, and she was talking about the ways in which we need to change the way we, we, we grow up and the way we live. And, you know, in IT, we spend a lot of time talking about life cycles. And she was talking about the original life cycle itself. So I think it's mm-hmm. really good. Thank you very much. Very appreciative, and thank you for joining us back. And now let's go to our third panelist, Andy Bitterer, a newcomer. And Andy has sent us a quote from somebody I never heard of before, Andy, and I love quotes from, uh, shall, we, shall we say, unrevealed, previously unrevealed sources. The quote is from a documentary photographer named Arthur Ouija. That was his middle name, and that was his uh, his. Nickname, if you will, W-E-E-G-E, Felig, F-E-L-L-I-G. Ouija was the pseudonym for Arthur. His middle name actually was Usher Felig. 1899 to 1968, photographer and photojournalist, and he made his mark on photography working in Manhattan on the Lower East Side as a press photographer in the 1930s and 40s, and he followed, get this, the city's emergency services and documented their activity. That's probably police, ambulance, fire trucks. They say that much of his work depicted unflinchingly realistic scenes of urban life, crime, injury, death. He published photographic books. He worked in the movies. He had his own short films. And he even collaborated later on with film directors of the ilk of Jack Donahue and Stanley Kubrick. Everybody's heard of Kubrick, at least. So here's the quote, and you're going to really have to explain this for us, Andy Bitterer. The quote is, lowercase f, f slash eight, and be there. And I know that's a photography term. So Andy Bitterer, welcome to Game Changers. How are you today? Thank you, Bonnie. Thanks for having me on. Delighted. Talk to me about this quote, F8. I, that's a setting. Isn't that a, a setting on a camera? That's right. So um, being a photographer, F, I mean, F-stop. that's sort of my, my other thing in life. So, you know, I'm a nerd and a geek and an IT guy, but I mean, um, I'm also a photographer for all of my life. So, yeah, it's, it's, it's F8. It's the aperture that you set in the camera. It's called F8, um, which is sort of like a, a middle aperture where everything pretty much is sharp and when you take a picture uh, and be there. So that's sort of the, the mantra of the guy, uh, you know, and, and Ouija certainly was very creative in terms of how to actually take that picture. You know, you, know, you mentioned, you know, so he was chasing ambulances. In fact, I mean, when, when the police kind of uh, cut off you know, access to, you know, some, some kind of accident sites, I mean, he would just climb into the ambulance, you know, take the picture there, and then vanish afterwards. So pretty creative guy. So what does that have to do with analytics? Um, you have to kind of get your tools right. You have to get your settings right. You have to have your certain skills. And then you have to do your action. You have to make the decision. Analytics and BI obviously is all about decision making. And that's, your, that's sort of the thing that be there. Be there when you need to take the action. Be there when the, when, when the thing happens. And have all your settings, all your tools basically right. So, I mean, it's a little bit of a stretch. I admit that. Uh, but, I mean, that's. So my my uh, my best quote that I to be run with when I you know, go out and photographer uh, as a photographer. Andy, I don't think it's a stretch at all. I think it's a brilliant quote because be there. He was there. We're talking about in my intro. I mentioned you need analytics that are real time or as close as possible, right? What more real time than being in the ambulance or being the chaser after the ambulance? <clears throat> Excuse me, too. To get the to document the news as it was happening as close as possible to hit that f stop get that camera to work and bring the photos back it, he he probably was pretty much of a maverick in terms of real time because these were photos that were 
printed. This was way before the internet, obviously. So wouldn't you say that he was almost a maverick in documenting from an analytics point of view of what actually happened? Can we go that far? No, I mean, that makes sense, right? So, I mean, so it's not just, you know, you're having the tools, but you also have sort of uh, the means to actually get into the action and, and pull, the, pull the trigger, if you will, you know, at the right time. And then, uh, which pretty much is the decision points at, at which you need to have all the, all the facts basically, you know, laid out for you. And that's sort of the, the, the reference to, um, to BI or analytics. Thank you very much. Andy, pleasure to have you on. And let's go back around the table to James Rothwell. This is the portion of our program where we get to know our panelists a little more up close and personal, but I think we already have quite a bit. So this can be brief. Number one, James, I want to know where you are in the world. I know we called you. My engineer, Aaron, called three of you. So you're not in, well, I'm in the U.S., but you're not in the U.S. or Canada today. So what part of the world are you in, James, number one? Number two, what's your favorite drink? I know you're in a hotel. What's your favorite drink that powers you and number three tell us what agility works does and what your role is there go ahead james rothwell sure thank you so uh number one i'm currently i'm actually on vacation at the moment with my wife and two young boys but yeah i'm in greece at the moment um so yeah an ultimate day so uh my, my wife got the two boys at the moment down by the beach and i'm uh hold up in the in the hotel room Aww, that's number one that's you. where i'm calling from Mm-hmm. That's my pleasure. It's great to be here. Um, and I guess in number two, what's my favourite drink? Um, traditionally, it's always been a beer. I've always liked a good craft beer. But um, I guess it changed. I was working in Liverpool last summer and um, I was introduced to gin. For some reason, I never really liked gin. It was always something my mum used to drink. But uh, last summer, um, I was introduced to the world of gin and um, I haven't looked back really. So, yeah, probably... She was just finishes it quite late in the afternoon here, but I reckon by five o'clock I'll be popping to the bar and getting a quick gin and tonic. And do you have a favourite brand of gin? We'd love to know, James. Oh, favourite brand? I don't know, actually. Um, I like quite spicy ones with a juniper kind of, that kind of flavour to them. I probably don't have a favourite at the moment. I kind of, I get a different one sent every every two months to my house, so uh so, yeah, I get, a, I get a different gin in the post every two months, which is quite nice. But, uh, yeah, I probably don't have a favorite. There's a lot of, oh. I don't know what it's like in the rest of the world, but certainly in the UK, you seem to get a new gin distillery popping up. So there's micro distilleries all over the country. So there's so many to choose from at the moment. Wow. I'm, I just looked up spicy gin and I found earthy, spicy and herbal gins, a superb range of earthy, spicy. This is from drinkmonger.com. Apparently they review those. And then there are recipes for spicy gin and tonic. And there's even a spicy gin cucumber lemonade. Ooh. Oh, okay. I might, I might have to Google that myself. Actually, you might, that probably, and, the one I yep. like at the moment is a German one called Monkey 47. That's probably my favorite at, at the moment. I think somebody mentioned Monkey 47 to us on a show a couple of months ago. They're showing here Edinburgh oh, okay. Seaside Gin. Here's one. Edinburgh Seaside. Then we have Pickering's Tattoo Edition. Then we have Bombay Sapphire. We have Ophir Gin, Plymouth Gin, all kinds of Eden yeah. Hop Gin. Uh, I'm, I'm not going to go on. McQueen's Chocolate Mint Gin. Whoa, be still my heart. You may have just converted me to a gin drinker as well. How dare you? So go go ahead. Now tell me what you do and what is Agility Works, James? Yeah. So, yeah, so I'm the practice director for analytics at Agility Works. 
So what does that mean? Um, I kind of I look after the team there from an analytics and also from enterprise performance management. So kind of planning and BPC side of things. But yeah, I kind of look after that team, go out, speak speak to our customers, and um, we we're an SAP um, consultancy. So we're an SAP partner um, based in the UK. Um, we have offices in Dubai, Portugal, and a couple in the UK and India as well. But um, but yeah, I think we're predominantly an SAP partner who delivering some great things across the kind of full SAP suite. But um, the core focus at the moment is the kind of the big kind of, I'm going to say the term, but the digital transformations, which is involving a kind of uh, the replatforming of the, of the technology stack with the newer SAP technologies available now. Thank you very much, James. The, the, the analytics part of that is where I come into it. Thank you, and, and we're very flattered that you are joining us from your vacation and uh, sending your family off to the beach. I hope they're not struggling too, suffering too much without you. <laughs> Excuse me. No, Thank you very much. No, I have to take my wife a gin and tonic when I leave this as well. There you go. It all works out. Andy Steer, I'm coming around to you next. Andy Steer at Intelligence. Talk to me, number one, where in the world are you today? Number two, what do you just love to drink the most, the bestest, if you will, and bring us up to date on what you're doing these days at Intelligence. Andy? Okay, right. So today I'm actually sitting under my Velux window in my home office, which is in my loft at home. Um, and I can look out the window and I can see a, something which is very peculiarly English, I believe, which is something that's known as uh, allotments. I don't know whether this is something you're familiar with. Um, no. These are very small holdings of land where people can grow vegetables oh. and um, kind yes. of take them home for themselves. So uh, we, we call those commu- I- community gardens. We call them community gardens. Okay, so I'm looking out my, out my window and I can see probably somewhere in the region of about... 30 allotments. So that's my view out my back window. Um, there are a few that's people it. out there braving the cold this morning, but not very many at all, actually. Um, so that's what I can see. And uh, I'm also, well, so this is an interesting question because I'm English, right? So it should be a cup of tea. Um, mm-hmm. That's normally the, normally the answer. And I think it's probably the answer I gave you when I spoke to you last time. But listening right. to James, um, when James was talking, I actually wrote down on a piece of paper, recommend Monkey 47 Gin because uh, that's a really good gin, and then he mentioned it while he was talking to you. So I'll, I'll take that one off. But actually, today, my favorite drink is something a little bit different. I, uh, I spent last week traveling um, at a conference, and uh, it was in Barcelona, which was lovely and warm. Um, but I was rammed in a plane with some uh, rather unhealthy people, and I landed Ooh. back in the UK and, uh, and had to... Uh, run the line at my son's football match on the weekend in the freezing cold so today mm. I have ended up with um, what is a bit of a head cold so my favourite oh. drink today is something we have in the UK called Beecham's Hot Lemon and it's a medicinal hot lemon drink which yeah, right. is designed to cut through uh, cold and flu type symptoms and it's doing a good oh. job so far I have, Be- I have it here. I have. It's on W. Would you believe? You know what? You have been validated. You have been validated. It's on a website called medicines.org.uk. <laughs> I'm not kidding you. It really, really is. Beecham's, B-E-E-C-H-A-M-S, cold and flu hot lemon. And there's a summary of the product here. And uh, it's got paracetamol and phenyl phenylalanine 
phenylephrine hydrochloride. Those are the uh, those are the main ingredients. So it really is medicinal. Wow. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and it's yeah, right. I, I hear what you're saying. It's on Net Doctor as well. So this is the and it's on chemistdirect.co.uk. So you you're in the clear on that one. Well, do you feel better already? Uh, yeah, obviously, yes. Uh, it, no, I would never, ever claim that any of these over-the-counter uh, medicines don't work. Yeah, they're, they're fantastic. <laughs> and tell us, what are you up to these days in your work? Okay, so I work for Intelligence. Uh, we're, a, we're a platinum SAP partner. Uh, we work in oh, somewhere in the region of about 28 countries globally. And uh, mm-hmm. I'm based in the UK business, but I also work uh, in a number of global teams that we have. And my role is, um, is quite similar to James, really. I, I spend a lot of time talking with SAP, talking with our customers and talking internally with our consulting teams to make sure that we're really aligning with what our, what our customers are looking to do to take advantage of technology to help their businesses. Uh, my own background, I, uh, I've worked in analytics for, uh, for more years than I, than I care to remember, to be honest with you. I should... I should probably do a nice little bar chart one day, uh, totting up the years. That would be quite an analytics thing to do. But, yeah, that's, that's me um, spending lots of time embedded within these types of technologies, trying to explain the value of them to people who aren't quite sure. Thank you very much. And I hope you're feeling better. By the way, I, uh, I struggled with a sore throat and a head cold all last week. It was not easy doing five live radio shows, but managed to get through it. I have a little bit of a head cold today, so I think I'm going to look for what you, whatever you're taking, Andy, and see if we can, we can both get well on that. I, I don't know if I can get Beecham's in the U.S., but I'm going to go take a look after the show. So thank you for the recommendation. I appreciate it. And now, and welcome back. Andy Bitterer, you're up. And Andy, you know the drill. We love to know where in the world you are number two what's your favorite 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 drink if i can't emphasize that anymore i don't know and what do you do in your role at sap andy bitterer talk to us all right thanks bonnie um for me it's quite unusual because i'm actually at the office um i'm rarely at the office i typically sit in some kind of airplane um Mm. and um right now i mean i had some meetings here today in in the hamburg office Uh, i'm in hamburg germany um, and um, so, yeah, I'm enjoying you know, office life for a day. Um, my, my, my favorite drink um, obviously depends on the time of the day. Um, I used to be a mojito guy for, for a long time, but then I went to Peru a year, and then from then on, Pisco Sour became sort of my favorite, favorite, favorite drink. Uh, but now, right now, I'm sitting here with a cup of uh, Chagoriana. Chagoriana is a, a, a tea, um, you know, I'm holding up the flag for my British colleagues over here because, I mean, they should have answered with tea. But, uh, no, I'm a tea guy. Uh, Chagoriana mm-hmm. is uh, one of two plantations, um, pretty much the only plantations, tea plantations that they have in Europe. They're on the island of San Miguel, uh, which is on the Azores uh, Islands in the middle of the Atlantic. Uh, there's two of them. Chagoriana is one, and the other one is called Porto Famoso. And uh, the thing is that because there is no... Uh, no pesticides, there's no insects. I mean, it's all very, very, very uh, bio, right? So it's very, very good tea. I mean, you can walk around the plantations and you see where they pick them, where they pack them, where they uh, ferment them and dry them and roll them. Mm. Uh, and it's pretty much my, my favorite tea for years now. And I go to the islands and pick up a few more kilograms every year I go and then uh, basically just give it a gift because it's the best tea I've ever had. 
I'm, um, and I looked it I up. Do? And um, I sorry, found sorry, the website, ahead. by the way. I found the website, Plantaso de Chagoriano, C-H-A-G-O-R-R-E-A-N-A. Is that the right one? And it's That's in it. San, yep. Mag- San Miguel and Portugal. And I'm going to read all about it. Porto Formosa Tea Factory. There's another one. And Tea Time yep. in the Azores, Portugal Adventures on San Miguel Island. Two tea factories in a plantation, the only such plantation in Europe. Thank you for introducing that to us, Andy. I had absolutely no idea. You can look it up on trolleypacker.com and you can find it. Or you can look it up. It Actually, they have a, uh, a website or a blog site, G-O-R-R-E-A-N-A dot P-T, P as in Paul, T as in Tom, Goriana P-T. And it says it's the oldest and currently only tea plantation in Europe. Very interesting. Yep. Thank you very much. Great, great lookup, great history and great story. Thank you. So tell us what you do. I am uh, a recent hire into SAP. I joined a little more than a year ago, August last year. Um, and I am an evangelist. Um, obviously, in Europe, um, that title isn't really so common, and I didn't pick that for myself. I mean, that's just you know, what they called me. Uh, and uh, I'm sort of a storyteller for uh, SAP Leonardo, so the whole um, you know, design thinking-based kind of uh, packages with services, and there's IoT, there's blockchain, there's all the analytics and machine learning, all the technologies um, that are in there in this kind of Leonardo um, uh, yeah, approach, basically, uh, so because it's not a product, uh, and analytics obviously plays a very big role in it. Uh, and I travel around and talking to customers and basically just uh, telling them what they can do with all these new technologies beyond just you know little reporting uh, and dashboarding because there's so much that we can do now with these technology that you know we're trying to inspire them to you know look beyond what uh, you know the traditional BI landscapes really do. And uh, so I'm speaking at conferences and speaking at. Uh, Obviously, SAP conferences and other kind of third-party conferences for a long time. In the past, um, I've been uh, with other software vendors, but uh, and for the most of the last 25 years, I've been an industry analyst. I worked at Gartner for a long time uh, and Metagroup before, and uh, so that's probably where I'm best known for. Thank you very much. Thank you to the three of you for sharing the details of who you are, where you are, and what you love to drink, and what you do. You know what? It's half past, and I'm going to make the executive decision that we're going to skip the break. So uh, why don't you all take a quick sip of whatever's in front of you, because I'm, by the way, here in Durham, North Carolina. It has gotten quite chilly. We went from 90s about three weeks ago to waking up to 38 to 40 degree weather in the morning, meaning it's chilly. Very, very windy today, but a brilliantly blue sky And that makes me very, very happy. And they don't let me anywhere near caffeine on radio show days, gentlemen. So all I have in front of me is a cool, clear mug of cool, clear water. And I have a yellow straw because it's the closest color I can get to the color of the sun. They don't make beautiful, brilliant red-orange straws. So, mmm. That was my sip. I took a sip. So let's push on into our roundtable formally. And James Rothwell, instead of us being off air and you picking a topic, I'm going to pick something from your notes here that I think would be interesting for us to discuss. So uh, you know what? I'm going to give you a choice. Do you want to talk about the data explosion, which would be the reason we need analytics, or would you like to talk about the fact that you need insights to action, the popularity of that term? Just quickly, James, which one would you like me to read from? Um, probably the explosion of data, I think. 
Good. Okay. So James told me the following before the show. He said, data explosion is not new. It's been happening for some years, and there are various stats showing that data will grow tenfold by 2025, and he thinks that is conservative. So talk to me about what this means for businesses. Go ahead, James. Give us about two minutes of your take on this, and then I'm going to bring in Andy Steer and then Andy Bitterer. Go ahead, James. Okay, sure. I think for me, um, as I said, yeah, the data explosion, it, it's been around for a long time. Um, companies and organizations have so much data, they're drowning in this data, they don't know what to do with it. Um, you've, you've got data across lots of different systems. There's a whole magnitude of, um, of failed data lakes. I think there's other stats out there, um, various mm-hmm. stats saying 80% of the data lakes have failed. I think I listened to one of your earlier um, shows about yes. um, the data lake becoming a data swamp. I won't mm-hmm. necessarily go into that. But for me, it, it, it's what to do with that data and also how to kind of use that data in an intelligent way or gain benefits from that data. I think as it's ever-growing and us as consumers, we expect access to this data. Um, so, yeah, for me, the big point is, is that organizations are struggling with that mass of data, where to put it, to consolidate, to put it into a data lake and then stitch it together in other tools. Um, something which I believe in is very much where you can, you should leave the data at source and kind of we've got various technologies now which allow us to leave that data at source and bring it together and then kind of bring it together in visualizations or reporting at a certain point. Obviously, it depends. Can that data talk to each other? How much transformation do you, do you need to do? But I think for me, yeah, that's a, that's a kind of a big part of, of the success of analytics projects is, is, is almost an overall data strategy, how to, how to deal with that explosion of data, where to sit it, what to do with it. And actually, yeah, the kind of the key is, is, how, is how, to, how, how, how to bring it together. Interesting. Let, let me just ask you a quick question. Is this, whose job is it? That's what I want to know. Whose role is it? You said, where does the data sit? Should you keep it at source? Should you go into the lake? Question, lake, does, does lake become ocean, river? Does lake become swamp? Yeah. How do you, yes, we did talk about that on this series. I think it was two weeks ago, and I'm, I thank you for listening to that. Whose job is it? Is there, is it the CTO, the chief, and we'll be talking to Andy Steer and Andy Bitter about their opinion. Is it, does it at the very top, is there a new team that has to be developed to say, well, we've got all this data coming in. Where do we want it to sit? Who should have access to it? What analytics tools are we going to use? How fast can we get them out? What parts of the business are going to be able to use this and benefit from it? Is this a whole new department that has sprung up with this explosion of data, James? Just a quick overview from you, and let's see what your co-panelists think. Yeah, um, in a way, yes. I think it has to come from the top. I think it has to be top-down driven. There has to be an overall strategy. But I think it's wider than just the top. We have to look at the entire organization as a whole. But I think the strategy has to come from the top and is pushed down. Certainly for me, a lot of the initiatives and the programs we're, we're involved in now, we're almost going through and setting up strategies across the board. So it's almost like an organization wide or depending on the size of the organization, whether it's the geographical region of that organization, but almost putting some guiding principles down, some strategies. So for then the technology which we're going to implement are adhering to that and are kind of are joined up. In terms of who it is, obviously, we've now got a lot of chief data officers around, but that's, 
I think, a part of the job there in terms of the data, but it, it isn't just one person's job for me. It's, it's a mix of a cross between business and IT that need to have a joined-up strategy, really. Thank you very much. Good overview. Let's go around the table. Andy, steer, agree or disagree with what Mr. Rothwell just said? I agree with I agree with much of what Jane said. To be mm-hmm. to be frank with you, Bonnie, I think there's a there's one point that I that I'd really like to make, which I think is is exceptionally important, and I think it's it's something that we always in our industry have to be very careful of, uh, and that's this concept where where I'm seeing a lot of people talking almost in obsessive terms about more and more data. And there is no doubt that as organizations are evolving and using more and more uh, IT systems, and those systems are expanding beyond the walls of the organization and perhaps linking up with suppliers, distributors, customers, etc. It's true we're generating more and more data. But what I think is often getting, getting lost in this argument is the fact that we need to focus on the right data, not just more and more yeah. data. And mm-hmm. knowing what is the right data actually starts by saying, what are the questions? And there is no doubt that more and more data can be useful if that data is aligned to the questioning that you're looking for. Now, that's the thing that I, that I see a lot of. I see a lot of customers who are just pouring more and more data into data lakes, but they have no idea what they're going to do with it. So my suggestion, and, and I, think, I think this is in what James was saying as well, is you've just really got to think about what you're trying to achieve and then make sure you use the data that aligns with that. Because if you have too much data, it'll be confusing. It'll mm-hmm. be difficult to manage. You'll be prone to leakages and uh, breaches, etc. But also... If you try to align uh, the wrong type of data with particular decisions, you're in danger of making the wrong decisions, right? So it's very important to focus on the data you need rather than just grabbing as much data as you possibly can. Thank you very much. There was it was an old expression uh, years ago. I don't know. Some people probably still use it, Andy. Just throw a bunch of stuff up the stairs and see what lands, what comes down, and that's what you pick. And do you think that some companies are using their data that way? They're just throwing it up and seeing seeing what what becomes present and accounted for. And they say, oh, that must be real time data. Is is anybody actually doing that? Yeah, yeah, for sure, for sure. I mean, one of the one of my pet things at the moment is. Um, is IoT initiatives. Everybody's talking about connected devices, and Mm -hmm. uh, there are phenomenal amounts of data you can generate from there, but you kind of got to know what you're going to do with it, right? You know, maybe you do know where every single one of the lorries in your fleet are every second, but what Mm -hmm. are you going to do with that data? What's the purpose of it? There's no point in just collecting it for the sake of collecting it. You need to know what you're going to do with it. Great point. Andy Bitterer, a lot on the table here. Please join us. What do you think? Yeah, um, I agree to some extent. Um, I'm sort of frustrated that you were still discussing these topics because what James and Andy just said is basically in a nutshell what we uh, back, back in the Myalis days have been preaching for about a decade, right? So it's not about just you know, having the data and then you know, people say, well, so we need to have insights. Okay, now we have the insights and then people say, well, we need to have the action. My point is that it's, and I think Andy just said that. Yeah, what are you going to do with it? What's the impact of whatever you're going to do, right? It's just hoarding information just because you can makes absolutely no sense, right? People are buying this space like there's no tomorrow, and then just keep, keep storing IoT data, seismic data, sens- uh, uh, sensor data, 
without having any clue in terms of what's going to happen with that, right? So you will not report on a thermostat kind of reading for the last year or something. It makes absolutely no sense. But you may want to kind of have some analytic insight in terms of what you can actually derive from that. And that's sort of the, the, the quintessential thing that most organizations, in my view, are lacking. And I think James mentioned that a few times because he talked about a data strategy. I typically call it a BI strategy or analytics strategy, but that basically includes not just the technical aspect of what you can do, but what you want to do, and most importantly, why you want to do it. Why are you kind of collecting information? What kind of insights do you want to derive from that? And what can you do with that? And what is the impact of the whole thing? I mean, can you avoid a risk? Can you uh, increase a margin? Can you uh, detect fraud? Can you, what, what is it that you want to do with all the information? And that's that discussion between IT and the various lines of business is just not happening enough. And I think that's sort of the, the big um, issue that I see in, in many, many organizations, big and small. Very interesting. Very, very interesting. Thank you. And you know what? That leads me into, um, I'm going to move James into something from Andy Steer's list of notes he sent me. And I think this is a beautiful segue from what Andy Bitterer just talked about. Andy Steer, you say the world is full of failed BI, data warehousing and analytics projects. That's because the answer is more about culture than it is about technology. We talked about the data on previous shows, the danger of blind decisions and the risks associated on the other side with ignoring the data. So is there a low adoption rate today in terms of BI and analytics? Andy Steer, why don't you continue to give us a lay of the land of what companies are doing about this? Okay, so, so, so this, is, this is quite a, a funny topic for me because you know, I've been working in this in and around this space for more years than I care to mention, and I know, I know colleagues on the call have as well. And the reality is, for all of our positioning as, in quotes, experts, we are still in a position where most business intelligence initiatives fail, right? And they mm-hmm. fail dramatically, right? And there is no doubt about that. The statistics don't lie. More and more of these types of projects fail. And with the advent of new data types and new large volumes of data, guess what? Unsurprisingly, they're failing even more. And the Mm. reason that most of the time they fail is quite simple. Most of the time they are initiated by IT people who claim to know, in quotes, what the business needs. So they build things and then they stand back and they say, here you go, this will answer all your questions. And unsurprisingly, it doesn't. And that has resulted over many years in a gap widening up between IT and the business. And in some cases, that results in the business people going off and doing their own things, so-called shadow IT, where they wage a guerrilla Mm -hmm. warfare against the established data warehouses and things that our IT have prepared. But then there are a small number of organizations who've managed to bridge that gap and work together collaboratively, and those are where the projects are successful. But we shouldn't be in any doubt, and I think Andy mentioned this sort of in his comments, that we've been talking about this for years, and we still haven't solved it. Technology's improved, and so that tells you that the problem is not the technology. The problem is the way we approach these things as businesses and as IT professionals. We need to collaborate much more, and it needs to be driven by and aligned with what the business needs to do, rather than what the latest shiny thing is that IT wants to implement. 
So the question is, whose job is it to recognize this? Whose job is it, Andy Steer? And I'm going to go around the table on this to say, wait a minute. IT claims to know, as you said. Is it a culture problem? Is it an ego problem? Is it a silo problem? Is it, well, IT's sitting there in their tower, whether it's ivory or I don't know what what material is made out of today, and they're saying, we know best because we're the people who are closest to handling the data, and the business is saying, no, you don't, no, you don't. Whose job is it to either get them to talk to each other more productively or to bring back the power to the business to tell IT what the business needs once the business figures it out? Any quick ideas on and you could share with us on how this culture will unravel itself back to a point where it is smarter, Andy? Well, it, well clearly it depends on the, on the different organizations, right? I'm not a great believer mm-hmm. in, in rallying calls around particular job titles, right? But you've seen the advent of the CDO, the Chief Data Officer, as mentioned by James earlier on. There are also uh, a new generation of marketing leaders who are much more tech-savvy and much more aligned with analytics who are, who are really driving these changes. Ultimately, it's got to be about the culture being collaborative. IT seeing that they are there as the custodians of the data, if you like, to be able to catalog and make available trusted data. And then they've got to get out of the way and let the business understand how to interpret and utilize that data. So... Job titles can be dangerous. Um, you know, there were organizations being successful doing this 10, 15 years ago before anybody was even mentioning chief data officers. So it's, it's more about the individuals, the alignment of the business. If the business wants to be data-driven and insight-driven, then it should be that the business leads that and IT supports it. Thank you very much. Interesting. I, I didn't know we would take this turn in the conversation, but I think it's very useful for our listeners around the world. Andy Bitterer, chime in, please. What do you think? CDO, who's in charge? What are those silos doing in terms of the ability to use the data for good, for for goals, for bottom line in a company? Yeah, so I mean, this is obviously a topic that I, it's very you know, dear and near to my heart because, I mean, I've been kind of talking about these things uh, for about two decades. I think the the, the CDO or the title, as Andy just mentioned, I mean, that's that's one thing. I mean, there was, or there used to be, there still are lots of CIOs, right, Chief Information Officers. I mean, based on their title, I mean, they were supposed to be sort of the custodian of information. That's their asset, like the CFO cares about finance and the CEO about executive, so the CIO. But, however, most CIOs aren't really worth that title because they're more like Chief Applications Officers or Chief uh, Keeping the Lights on in a Data Center Officer or something like that. So maybe that CDO is probably you know, the, the way to go. In terms of how to actually get sort of a BI or analytics strategy in place, uh, even though it's uh, almost a bad word sometimes these days, um, these ideas of a BI competence center or an analytic competence center really work well in many um, customers that I've been talking to. So a BICC is for short. I mean, that's a, that's a collaborative effort by parts of the business. You know, there's finance, there's controlling, there's sales, there's marketing, there's production, HR, legal, whatever constituency you may have in your business. Alongside with, on the other side, you have IT, various um, you know, people from the IT side, from maybe applications, maybe data, maybe enterprise architecture, and so on. And as a, as a group, they're responsible for formulating that BI or data strategy in terms of what can we do, what do we have, what do we miss, what skills do we need, what's the architecture, what are the solutions, what's the, what's the tools and, and technologies, and so on. And only then I see that uh, you know, some of these BI strategies really work. 
Uh, other than that, is really where I think uh, Andy said, you know, more like guerrilla warfare and so on, uh, because IT either alone takes too long, doesn't know what the business needs, uh, you know, and have, has this sort of um, idea of if we build it, they will come, right? So we, if we build the great warehouse and the great tools, you know, the business will be delighted, and they're not, uh, and then they go out and you know, build their, uh, I think you mentioned that too, their IT, uh, their shadow IT, and come up with some mm-hmm. other solutions. And I think that's the challenge that we really need to kind of address. Thank you very much. Great insights. Let's move around the table. James Rothwell at Agility Works. Agree or disagree? A lot of interesting comments here. James? Yes, definitely. Yeah, I wholeheartedly agree. I think I've certainly seen a lot of this over the past where terms of the BI projects have failed. And for me, and it is down to the business and IT, that kind of gap. But for me, certainly we're starting to see the improvement of that. Or I certainly am in some of the customs we're working with now where um, traditionally, or not traditionally, but over the last few years, you've had the shadow IT, you've had the business going off, creating their own data sets, extracting it from the data warehouse and having it in an access database or an Excel and then building applications on top of that with no security, no governance or anything. I'm starting to see a bit of a change where actually the the data warehouse or the central data is being pulled together and managed by something like a BI competency center, for, for example. But then rather than... IT and the project being led by IT and there being a four to six month dashboarding or application project where you're putting a complex solution together with KPIs, various drill throughs and pages, um, but being created by IT, delivered to the business, and then the business are going, great, it's not really what we want, it doesn't answer the questions we need it to, and then it going nowhere. Or maybe it does answer those questions initially, but then it's up to IT to make the changes and it takes too long. So then you're back in that cycle where the business need, need to go off and do their own thing. I think with, with the technology we, we, we have today, with the kind of uh, the software as a service and the SaaS-based cloud solutions which are available now, certainly for me, I think the, the business have been given that core data set and there's now tools where they can access that and use it in a governed way, but where they're free mm-hmm. to make a lot of the changes or if it's fundamental changes deep down within the data, then they go back to the BI competency center. But it's, I'm certainly seeing with the types of the BI CC, certainly it's a definite, it's a better link between the business and IT. Thank you very much. You know what, gentlemen, we're at that time in the show where we're ready for our crystal ball predictions. But Andy Bitterer, there's just something here in your notes I want you to address. Just 60 seconds. Please keep it tight. You introduced a very human word. We're talking analytics. We're talking data. We are talking people. But you introduced a very uh, interesting word given that you're, you have a photography background and you quoted Ouija. And you said one recurring theme of organizations not becoming intelligent enterprises is the common lack of creativity. Uh, just give us an overview of why you use that word in your notes. I was intrigued by that, Andy. And then, James, get ready with your 60-second prediction. Then Andy Steerer will end up with Andy Bitterer. So, Andy Bitterer, how, how creative do companies need to have their business people be in terms of data? Um, I think creativity is absolutely critical for organizations to even understand what's possible. Um, when, you, when you talk to some of the business users in terms of what their needs are in terms of BI analytics, uh, they don't know what, what, what technology can actually provide. So they always fall back in terms of, okay, yeah, give me some report, give me some dashboard. 
Um, but when you look at what technology can do in terms of how you can assemble data, you can fly drones and do image recognition from the sky and analyze that with, image, uh, with, uh, with machine learning to find out things uh, that you would otherwise never have. So that kind of creativity in terms of what's possible, what's technology, uh, technically possible, I mean, that's just not known to the, to the business users, so they would even never really ask that question. And I think that's something that we really need to kind of fill that gap. Thank you very much, Andy. James Rothwell, I know you're ready. We have a 60-second window for your prediction. Let's take a look between, I don't know, five minutes after we're off the air in 2025. What will change about our topic today, intelligent analytics beyond the magic? James Rothwell, go. Sure. Um, I guess there's a few things, but I'll try and be very, very quick. I think initially, I think there may be some backlash from data privacy, data security. I'm certainly seeing a bit of backlash there. But once we've got over that, I think for me, it's almost true, true self-serve will be the norm in terms of it's not a case of IT delivering a particular application. If you look at the younger generations today, they're so tech savvy, so used to, to having access to predictive analytics, whether it's through their bank accounts, um, through phone apps or something like that. Mm-hmm. But certainly for me, there will be much more. And when I say true self-serve, it's the ability to explore and search that data themselves. That's available now, but probably just to some key users. But I think certainly within an organization, once we get over the data security backlash and how to manage that, I certainly see self-serve where you actually exploring the data yourself and getting those business outcomes on a particular data set. I see that being much more wide-reaching than it is now. Thank you. We've heard of that self-serve as a prediction on other shows, uh, especially on this series. Thank you for bringing that up, James. Andy Steer, 60 seconds. That's all we've got. Go ahead. Okay, so two quick things, Bonnie. Number one, I think the improvements in technology will mean that people who really are analysts, people who get paid to look at data, they'll have Mm -hmm. new technologies that they never dreamed possible with machine learning, AI, and all these kind of things that will really help. But secondly, and perhaps for me most importantly, I'm looking for the disappearance of traditional BI from the user's perspective. Most Mm. people, as Andy said, they want to get on with their jobs. And that means taking the BI away from these other systems and putting it into the transactional systems they use on a daily basis to support intelligent processes. So that means finance people using finance systems and seeing embedded predictive analytics within those tools to help them do their job. So they don't have to jump out to Excel and jump out to other tools. So for me, I want to see BI as a separate thing disappear. There's complex stuff for analysts, people who get paid to look at data. But for the rest of us, whose job it is is to make smart decisions, the tools should just disappear into the background and the decisions should come to the front. So that's what I'm looking for. Thank you very much. And Andy Bitterer, I saved exactly 60 seconds. Well, I'm actually 30 seconds. Talk fast. Go ahead, Andy. Yeah, I mean, for me, it's it's about the user experience. I mean, I think the uh, the idea here is that yeah, we're going away from you know, typing stuff on keyboards and then trying to you know do queries. I see ourselves much more really in in voice. I understand that this is new for most of most of the users, but I just want to ask the system show me sales from last year, and basically the system res- responds with uh, an appropriate answer. So I'm I'm talking to my system rather than you know, typing anything anymore. 
There you go. Wish I didn't have to still type, but that's still the way of the world when you're on Twitter. I've been trying to capture the words of wisdom for my three panelists. I want to thank the three of you. It's always interesting to me that we can make it so human when we get together for a conversation. So James Rothwell at Agility Works, thank you. Andy Steer at Intelligence, thank you. And Andy Bitterer at SAP, thank you. James and Andy B., it was so nice to make your acquaintance. And Andy Steer, come back anytime, of course. And it's time for us to close out the party. So shout out to our colleague at SAP, Cecilia Morton, for putting together this wonderful panel. Great topic, Cecilia. Appreciate it. And here's my call to end. Shout out to Aaron, our engineer at World Talk Radio as well. So here's my call to action. Finally, fasten your seatbelt. What are you waiting for? Maybe the seatbelt will give us intelligent analytics one day. Take a left. Take a right. Slow down. Put your foot on the brake. Stop drinking the coffee. I don't know. Anyway, what are you waiting for? Go out and be a game changer today, just like James Rothwell at Agility Works, just like Andy Steer at Intelligence, and just like Andy Bitterer at SAP. Bonnie D. Graham signing off. Have a great day. Bye-bye. Thanks again for tuning in to Changing the Game with the Intelligent Enterprise, presented by SAP, the best-run SAP. To keep the conversation going, tweet your questions and comments to Twitter hashtag SAPRADIO. Please join host Bonnie D. Graham again on Mondays on the Influencers Channel. We wish you a positively game-changing week.